Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. We are recording on June the 24th, 2012, in the evening. The Orioles have just taken two out of three from the Washington Nationals. I'm here with my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? I was down. I was at the game on Saturday. Uh, I don't make it to a lot of games anymore down in Baltimore, unfortunately. But, boy, it was it was really cool to see the, the park sold out and uh, that energy to be infused in, in watching baseball again. I've had two consecutive weekend series that I got to go to a sellout because they sold out when I was there on the Saturday game with the Phillies, and they sold out when I was there in the press box on Friday. And it's definitely awesome to have Oriole Park packed, and mostly with Orioles fans, because, you know, it's not like it was the Yankees and the Red Sox invading. Although mm-hmm. there was a there was a healthy Nats fan contingent, but it seemed like, at least on Friday, they got, like, booed down every time they tried to cheer for anything. And plus, you know, Nats fans probably don't know how to cheer for the Nats yet, because <laughs> they weren't Nats fans two years ago, so they don't have the... Uh, Easy. No, a little too harsh, maybe. Real talk, real talk. No, whatever. But uh. Well, it was cool. It felt like an event, and and it was cool. It is. It is cool to see. So hopefully they can keep that going. And somehow the Orioles managed to win two out of those three games, uh, in spite of the fact that currently the offense seems to have its run scoring schedule about as frequently as our podcasting schedule, which is to say. <laughs> Score once, uh, score once every week because really it's a mess right now. There was a statistic that was on the game notes when I was there in the press box on Friday that like three Orioles, I think at that time it was uh, Weeders, Betamit, and somebody were like nine for 19, nine for their last 19 combined. And the other nine hitters at that moment were three for their last 109, which was really astounding to me. Wow. Just think of how many offers there was in there. And, of course, one of those being Chris Davis, now up to 0 for 28. And over the course of the weekend, some players got, you know, a few hits here and there, but it wasn't like they were on base all the time. And if you want to talk about why the Orioles, you know, went 2-4 and four in that last week, well, offense not being that great probably has a lot to do with it. So what are some of the reasons for that? Andrew, you and I were talking about the, the quote-unquote knuckleball theory, which some people seem to like to run out there, which is where they say, well, after hitters face a knuckleball, it messes up their swing for a few days because it knocks off their timing from having to try and hit the knuckleball. So I've never actually faced a knuckleball myself, which I know does in fact hurt my argument. For, for saying this whole idea is stupid. Right. I definitely did not face a knuckleball either the last time I played organized baseball <laughs> right. when I was 11. That said, this whole idea is just, it's revisionist thinking where, oh, the Orioles have had a really hard time scoring runs, and oh, the first day that they had a hard time scoring runs, it was against a knuckleballer. And then there's this idea out there in the ether that, you see a knuckleballer and it ruins your swing for X amount of time afterwards. But 
I mean, you try and find some quick proof to to support that, and you can't do it. Like R. A. Dickey, who is usually tremendous, uh, he one hit the Orioles. Before that, he one hit the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Rays got up the next day and scored six runs. And then they got up the day after that and scored 11 runs. So obviously their bats weren't messed up because of of Dickey. So this isn't like a hard and fast rule. If you look at the last couple times Dickey has, has really beat up on a team, they have also gotten up the next day and had a good offensive day. So I'm not, I'm not buying it. Andrew, it's you. really an awful shame that um, some of the writers <laughs> who were talking about that knuckleball theory, you know, didn't have that information at their fingertips and uh, couldn't, yeah, couldn't manage took, to find that out for themselves. It took me literally while you were talking to look some of this stuff up. Well, so it is tough. It's very tough to find and to, and to know, to look for it, to, to check. It's hard. <laughs> so, so we're discounting the knuckleball theory, although clearly the Orioles struggled against the knuckleball, but the knuckleball yeah, not, but, not mean, being their continued reason for futility, right. where you know even when they're winning, they're winning two to one games against the Nationals. The other thing about it is it's a concept among the fan base, mostly I, w- I would imagine, of always putting the success or failure on you, on, on your team, where, oh, the Orioles aren't getting any hits. That's That's got to be because they're messed up. They're, something has messed them up. It's not the other team is pitching well. You know, like today, Jake Arrieta pitched really fantastically in the final stat line. He got, yeah, he had so good that results. Must be he pitched really well, not the Nationals let him off the hook over and over again which definitely i would say is more accurate so right so you know it's this this sort of classic struggle between finding out is the loss because your team played poorly or because the other team played well and of course for orioles fans when you want to say well the other team played well it just harkens back to the dave tremble era where he was always saying well sometimes you just got to tip your cap yeah, yeah but, that's baseball. What can you do? I mean, didn't Buck Showalter say that? He says it yesterday? less frequently, but he did in fact say it about uh, the Nationals yesterday, I believe. Which it it just grates on me a little bit, mostly because of that trembly connotation. But every now and again, I would say it's that. And and against the Nationals rotation, who's performing well against everybody, it seems like a better thing to say that than. I don't know if the Orioles were playing, say, the Phillies and got shut out by Joe Blanton. I wouldn't want there to be any cap tipping. Now, this, is, this isn't to say that you know the Orioles hitters haven't been struggling. Um, one of the criticisms of the team that I've heard out there in the ether is that it's like Adam Jones and his friends, where if Adam Jones isn't hitting, then the Orioles are kind of... Screwed. Yeah, and the Orioles are like 15 and three when Adam Jones home runs, or homers, I should say, is, is basically the stat. So. Yeah, and and over this past slumping week against the Mets and the Nats, Adam Jones has not been a big part about it. Uh, he homered last night, but 
Before that, that before I mean, the Reynolds homer on Friday, oh. the Orioles hadn't homered in like a week anyway. So that'll get you swept out of the Mets for sure. Yeah, and then you tack on Chris Davis isn't doing anything. and He had been really a key contributor, as weird as that is uh, to say. Yeah, he's um, been stuck out in right field, and other than one play, I can't really think of him misplaying anything. And, uh, you know, pleasant yeah. surprise. But he's been 0 for 28 while he's been playing out in right field. Right, it's hard to be valuable at all if you're taking that big of an offer. And and that's a big part of what why the Orioles haven't been able to score. They don't have Marquez playing. Davis isn't doing anything. Adam Jones is doing very poorly as well this past week anyway. What um, has he got? 7.32 OPS so far in June for Adam Jones. That's not awful, but it's not the blazing Well, hot. it's coming back down to earth. Yes. And then Brian Roberts is up top, and we haven't had much of a chance to talk about him, but he hasn't played super well. I feel yet. really bad that we didn't mention him at all in the last podcast uh, when he was still kind of new and we were still excited that he was back. But now that it's another week later, we kind of have to look at, well, the cold reality is maybe he's not the same baseball player he was before, which, I mean, we should have known anyway. But Well, we can... it's it's to be determined what what he's going to do this year. Right. He's only played in 11 games, and the main thing we can say through that is he does not yet have either an extra base hit or a stolen base. So well, you look at that, and it's like, well, that's, that hurts his effectiveness. But at the same time, you see some of his at-bats, and he, he just feels like he's the Brian Roberts of old, where he's... He had that one on Saturday where he basically worked a 13-pitch at-bat, got a full count, got a pitch to hit, got a nice single up the middle at the end of it. And that was nice. Although, I mean, if it was the Roberts of old, he might have driven a double down the line or even hit a home run or <laughs> something like that. It's, you know, But he could still... He still has skills that will play. He just needs to, uh, well, get lucky and get hot a little bit, I guess, and bring his numbers up. Sometimes it seems like diving at second, he doesn't have the range he used to, which of course he does. Well, of course he right. He's, uh, It'd be crazy to think that he's he would 30, still be a, a good four years old, so of course he doesn't have the same range. Wow, Brian Roberts is 34. I just... Yeah, I knew he was it past feels like 30, just but... yesterday I was trying to figure out, do I like Jerry Harrison or Brian Roberts? Yeah, World Series championship winning Jerry Harrison. Gee. Hey, you can't take that away from can't take him, it even away. if it was with the Yankees. Even if it was with the Yankees. That's like the super utility guy. But what are you going to do? So, I don't know. The offense, not what I thought it was going to be. I think on this very podcast, we talked about, well, hopefully the Orioles can win eight to six games. And what we're getting is a lot of two to one games, which yeah, uh, pretty weird for me. Not what I expected. I, as long as they're winning, and they did win two out of three this week, I mean, you're going to get swept by teams like the Mets who can throw really good pitching out at you. Um, with with Dickie and Santana, that's a little bit of a buzzsaw. Quite um, a one-two punch. Yeah. You, you get up, you keep going at it. I mean, no team goes through a whole season without getting swept. It, it doesn't happen. I'm not going to look that up. And <laughs> but the I Orioles feel pretty safe out, they didn't get Strasburg and Gio Gonzalez on the Nats, and they uh, they fluked their way into two out of three, and that's okay. Hey, right. and, you got to win and, the hey, fluke. I mean, struggling to score runs against Edwin Jackson and 
and Jordan Zimmerman, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. The whole Nats rotation really pitching great. So, yeah. And the and the good news is Jason Hamill looked he he looked like a guy who wanted to pitch in the All Star game. Hamill has been astounding. We've talked about him a lot. And speaking of that All Star game, yeah, this is a good segue. I right? wanted to look and think about who are the Orioles all-stars going to be. And I am actually going to use plural because I think there's enough Orioles performing at a high level that it would be a shame to get the uh, the token one Oriole is this, player that we're used to. Although I, I did really like when Ty Wigington was the all-star for the Orioles. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Um, is this the first year since 2005, that magical season? 2005, when the Orioles had multiple All-Stars? I believe that is the case. I'm not 100% sure about that. Featuring uh, my favorite All-Star infield at a time when you could still dream that it was going to be an Oriole infield at one point. Yeah, I mean, let's see. The official Orioles website, I've just looked. Yes, there's only been one All-Star every year since that 2005 where they had Roberts, Tejada, Mora, and B.J. Ryan. Yes, they're all-stars. So this year, at this moment, I believe Adam Jones is in fourth on among the outfielders. and in, in the fan in voting. In the fan voting. Yeah. And maybe he'll get to top three where he's the starter. I feel like he should hopefully be selected by the player vote. Ooh. And I'm not 100% familiar with that process, but... Who who is above him in the in the fan voting? I want to say it is Josh Hamilton, Curtis Granderson, and Jose Bautista. I think yes. Bautista is the third place guy. Yeah, and Nelson Cruz is right behind him in fifth place. So, so whoa, that, that's a that's a tough tough three guys group. to yeah. crack for sure. I mean, Adam Jones absolutely deserves to be there. He has played. He's hit obviously really well, and his his defensive uh, contributions have been much better than we're accustomed to seeing from him so far, for for what it's worth. So he certainly deserves to start the All Star game, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool to to think about Adam Jones. Like we we've sort of watched him grow up a lot, and that's really cool. And now we'll get to see him stay here and, and mature. And, and be an Oriole. So of course, Adam Jones has been an All-Star before in 2009. As I recall, he had the winning sack fly RBI for the American League that year. Uh, yeah, that does sound right. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's different to be like a reserve. Yeah, when you're the starter, the you come out. When you're a starter and you really deserve to be a starter, unlike certain Derek Jeters. <laughs> Not to name names. Not to name any names, no. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool. And and he absolutely deserves to be there. So some other guys on the Orioles who could actually have a have a case. And now, maybe, I'm, I'm interested to see who you think deserves to be on there. Maybe I'm just a homer, but... Well, I don't think there's any question. Well, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I am a homer, but maybe I can be a rational homer sometimes. Well, I would say, one... Jim Johnson deserves to be in the All-Star game. And I'm not sure how the relief pitching roster picking goes, but, I mean, well, it's, name, it's name a top whatever number of American League relievers, and Jim Johnson's probably one of them. Well, um, it's stupid. This is not how we should 
judge closers, but saves. He's uh, 22 for 23 now after today. That one blown save, he got the win in that game in uh, what, what my boss, John Dewan, calls a BS win for for blowing the save and still getting the that win. That still counts. Sure, sort of. Um, so if, if uh, Ron Washington, the all-star manager, is just looking at stats, like really simple, pointless stats that everybody judges closers by for some reason. You know, Jim Johnson's going to be in the All-Star game. And I believe there was a fact that the other Orioles closers that had gotten 20 saves faster than Jim Johnson did were also All-Stars, because apparently George Sherrill in 2008 got 20 saves by about this date, and... The same was also the case of uh, B.J. Ryan in 2005 and Randy Myers sometime. Randy Myers. Sometime, I thought. Yeah, but, uh, and, and the cool thing is Jim Johnson actually does deserve to be an all-star because he's been really shut down in the ninth inning, and he just his stuff looks so good. I'm sorry, that um, might have been Lee Smith in 1994 rather than Lee Randy Smith. Myers. Did Randy Myers not make the All-Star? He didn't. He's not on the list. I thought for some reason he did, but apparently he didn't. That's... Although the Orioles had five All-Stars in 1997. One of them was not Randy Myers. So. That's... so Jim Johnson, I think whatever number of relievers at the top in the AL you want to pick, Jim Johnson is one of them. And yes. You can also By whatever make, measure you want You to can get. also make a case, I think, for Jason Hamill who's been phenomenal. Randy Myers was an all-star in 1997. Well, he's not I, on Orioles.com's well, list of all-stars. Well, some some intern needs to uh, get their... They need to bear down and get their, their game right. Step it up, for sure. Come on. Okay, so that that's really unfortunate if he was... He got uh, a hold. He pitched the eighth inning. Three batters faced. Well... Two strikeouts. Andrew That's and I have exposed really a great injustice being perpetuated as we speak on Orioles.com. So, breaking news, and hopefully, uh, due to our reporting, that will be fixed. Probably not, though. But anyway, Jason Hamill, I believe he's sixth in ERA among starters in the American League. So, that's not uh, top. It's nothing three. to sneeze not, at. Not like top three, super awesome, but pretty awesome for Orioles fans who've seen, you know terrible pitching for yeah it, it's, a decade. it's like having this like really random ace it is and we were and it's weird and it's to cool have gotten and him and have him be good it's really interesting it's 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 he's a really good story so here's the here's count. the names of the five guys who are above jason hamill in era in the american league number one is chris sale on the white Sox, 2.24 yep. Oh. Jared Weaver of the Angels, 2.40. C.J. Wilson of the Angels, 2.44. And by the way, those last two guys, the two pitchers <laughs> the Orioles will be oh seeing in this two-game series Tuesday and Wednesday against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California. Uh, Brandon McCarthy of the Athletics has a 2.54. Justin Verlander of the Tigers with a 2.57. Yeah, he's okay. Reigning Cy Young and MVP, I'm sure, is going to get picked, and that's fine. And then the next name on the list is Jason Hamill with his 2.61. Yeah, 
So the the real question is not does Jason Hamill belong at the All Star game because obviously he does, but rather does he deserve to start the All Star game? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say the great story is probably Chris Sale, who's even outperforming Hamill. So maybe have him start. And of course, with two Angels guys on the list and pitchers, I think being full manager selections, will Ron Washington, the Texas Rangers manager, engage well, in any shenanigans? Will he take C.J. Wilson? By who, not taking, who we had last Right, year. by not taking, say, the pitcher who left his team in free agency for the Angels, his divisional rival, which could help Jason Hamill get in. That'd be, that's that'd be fun if he, if he did. It'd be pretty lame. But. It, it would make a interesting storyline as the rest of the season would play out. But I don't know if Ron Washington is that, uh, that much of a jokester. It's just something I thought maybe could happen. The last guy I am sort of thinking is kind of on the borderline in the conversation, maybe we would say, if not one of the ones who will ultimately get selected, is at catcher, Matt Wieters. Pretty good catcher, I think we can all agree. I don't know if he's going to have statistically one of the best seasons, say, at the plate, where you're like, well, they got to take Matt Wieters. A month or so ago, he was at that level. Uh, He slumped a good bit through the end of May and June, so that brought him back down to earth a bit. And now it's not as much where he was playing his way in. So if I wanted to say, well, Matt Wieters has to be an all-star, that would be totally homerish. I think they should talk about Matt Wieters being near the all-star level, but probably he'll get uh, behind guys like Mike Napoli, I would say, is probably... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, I don't even remember who's leading the voting. It might be Napoli. I think Joe Maurer, maybe. I, th- I think it's uh, Napoli's leading the voting. What, what's interesting is they're going to take probably three catchers, and they'll only use two of them if last year's any indication. So if they're taking three catchers, I mean, then you're probably talking okay, Joe Maurer and Mike Napoli for sure. And then the question is, is it going to be like Matt Wieters or AJ Pierzynski? Just my cursory viewing of the of the batting lines and of course the batting line isn't going to be like the deciding thing necessarily because reputation comes into play a lot and just like a general feel uh also the defensive aspect of things should not be ignored and matt weeders of course won the the fielding bible award last year and the gold club so he certainly has the defensive reputation in his corner if not the hitting reputation, which which hasn't ever really matched up with, with what Matt Wieters was supposed to be. But. It wouldn't be crazy if he made it into the All-Star game. It and, wouldn't. and not to mention, it's not like the Orioles are a stinko, below 500 team. The Orioles are a team where there's some buzz about them, and at the moment, with a 41-31 and 31 record, still 10 games over 500, even though it's going into the last week of June. That's the kind of thing that gives players from the team, you know, a little bit of extra momentum as guys are getting picked, which, as we saw in 2005, it's like, oh, the Orioles are doing pretty good. We better pick some Orioles for the All-Star game. And the same we might see in 2012. I just don't know which guys it'll be. But it would be pretty cool if it was all four of them. Uh, I think more likely it'll be two to three of them. I would hope at least three. But Mm -hmm. 
I mean, th- um, there's all sorts of rules about like every team needs to have right. a representative. So getting four players from a team like the Orioles, and then you're going to have a bunch of players from the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rangers and the Angels and so on. Yeah, it, it's tough to... Lots of good teams in the American that. League that multiple players are deserving, but one of them is the Baltimore Orioles. That cannot be denied. Definitely. So that's pretty cool. That's the all-star situation, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know when they finalize the rosters, but... You know who's not going to be an all-star? Uh, Jamie Moyer. Jamie Moyer. That's, that's exactly right. So the Jamie like you Moyer, read my mind. I, the, the Jamie Moyer situation was one of those Orioles media comedy things because when they started talking about well Moyer was had three starts and it looks like they're going to call him up and just like all the beat writers were like well I guess they're going to call up Jamie Moyer because they have to either call him up or lose him and it's just like they all agree well they're going to call him up and, and it, it sounded inevitable line. and I wrote an article on Camden Chat get ready for Jamie Moyer and I was trying to talk myself into the the second Jamie Moyer era in Baltimore, because I mean, not that you know a forty whatever year old in in AAA Norfolk's line matters at all, but he he threw three starts, went sixteen innings in those three starts, one point six nine ERA. Uh, if your choice is well, we come up and have him pitch you know five games at the major leagues instead of Tommy Hunter, or we let him go. And considering everybody in the media was talking about, well, here comes Jamie Moyer. I was like, okay, fine, bring him on. And then suddenly, no, Jamie Moyer, the Orioles want him to pitch another game on Tuesday because they don't need to start until Saturday. And Jamie Moyer was like, you know what, guys, Uh, I'm going to be 50 years old in November. I've had enough of AAA this year. I'm out. And now he's off. I have a a hard time believing that you seriously thought – like, yeah, why not? Why not let Jamie Moyer pitch five games instead of Tommy Hunter? Well, like I said, I had to. Because here's the thing: I'm pretty sure Tommy Hunter's better than Jamie Moyer, and I am not a Tommy Hunter fan. So that was the Jamie Moyer comedy. I don't know. It it was just a little insane for a couple of days, and I felt like he had to come up soon, so I had to get excited for him. <laughs> Well, a little bit, and it, uh, we should just keep it in mind next time there's some media frenzy type story about something that really doesn't make any sense. That's right, Andrew. Fool me once, shame on them, but fool me twice, it's going to be shame on me. Although, yeah. uh, fairly sure that's not the first time that I've been fooled, even in this calendar year. Or or last. Or last. So we will we will almost always get caught up in something. Yeah. So but, um, you know, whatever. Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Good luck to him wherever he goes, unless he ends up pitching against the Orioles, uh, and then then I hope he doesn't. But as for the whole fifth starter situation, because Tommy Hunter plainly not cutting it, what do you think the Orioles should do about that spot in the rotation that's supposed to come up again on Saturday? Well, we were talking before we started that uh, part of the problem is they're looking for a fifth starter, but they already have at least two fifth starters already in their rotation. Yeah, Jake Arrieta and Brian Mattis are of the caliber currently of back end of the rotation right. guys. And, and there's no shame in that. Just if we're looking for another fifth starter to replace Tommy Hunter, like I understand you want to get whatever upgrades you can, but I mean, more back end of the rotation starters is not a sexy thing to talk about, I guess. 
But when you've got three-fifths of your rotation not doing great every, well, 60% of your baseball games, uh, you know, you want a little bit more stability in there. And I don't know. Well, I I don't know if stability is really something you're going to get out of their internal options. Chris Tillman, we've seen how instable that that roller coaster ride is. Right now, Chris Tillman this year is having nice triple a stat lines which last year he wasn't even like he was bouncing between the majors and triple a and even when he was in triple a it wasn't good uh this year for instance he struck out 85 batters in 83.2 innings at the triple a level now that's not going to persist at the major league level i would guess although i don't have this data right in front of me that he's getting a lot of swings and misses on nibbling pitches that major league hitters for the most part are not going to swing at, and that's probably contributing a lot to his success, which still is having a lot of pitches. He's not even averaging uh, six innings per start at the AAA level, so it's very possible Chris Tillman, for instance, could come up and do more of his uh, got 100 pitches after 4.2 innings pitched, and he's lit up, you know, two earned mm-hmm. runs, and then he's gone. But And that's fine if he's your fifth starter and you have four other guys who aren't doing right. that, but that's not where the There's no are. way to know what you're going to get from Mattis or Arietta at this point. They could get knocked out after three innings. They could go seven innings. Right. Like today, I was sure Arietta was going to have a short, short day. And that's just the type of pitcher he is. He, he struggles, and it comes and goes, and he's a fifth starter, and that's cool. Just you can't have a full rotation of those guys. So you want to um, run down some other names on the AAA uh, roster? This, we got Jason, Jason Birkin has a 2.32 ERA, although I feel like, again, we know what we're going to get from him at the major league level. More so with Birkin than uh, Tillman, because Birkin's I, I, a little older. I think. I would very much like it if we didn't see the Jason Birkin starting pitching right. thing. No. Uh, yeah. And then you got a guy like Steve Johnson, who had to be added to the 40-man roster so they wouldn't lose him. Yeah, still, still kind of my dark horse candidate for for this. Miguel Gonzalez, who we saw out of the bullpen being stretched out to be a starter at Norfolk. Is uh, Brad Bergeson still down there? Whatever happened to Brad Bergeson? Yeah, I don't know. He's pitched 16 games, only 10 were starts. Maybe he got pushed out of the rotation with all these 8 million starters down there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he's a candidate. And then Zach Britton, you mentioned him briefly, and I started talking over you. you will be a little sad when I read this. So he's so he's only made four starts down there since he was healthy, and he has a 582 ERA. So that's not forcing his way up into the big league picture. Right. So. Well, although they did say that part of the reason that they were comfortable with releasing Moyer is he's fallen behind, or he he couldn't catch up to uh, Tillman and Britton specifically on the depth chart. So if they were going to call up a fifth starter. It was going to be one of those guys instead of Jamie Moyer. Yeah, outside I, of I think at this point, if it's going to be anybody, it's, it's probably, probably Tillman. Tillman. Yeah. yeah. So will that happen on Saturday, uh, by Saturday? I don't know. They might uh, might decide to give the Tommy Hunter experience five runs all earned, another, uh, another act. I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is this doesn't feel like the type of move that a competitive team would do. Where it's like, well, sure, let's go with Tommy Hunter. Or let's try Chris Tillman out. It just seems like if if the Orioles are, are serious about being competitive, and Dan Duquette made some comments 
a uh, season ticket holder Q&A this weekend about being in it to win it. Uh, it seems like they need to do something else with their pitching rotation. Yeah, Dan Duquette's comments there were interesting. There were a couple other points that I had heard him say where he said ownership is on board with possibly making moves and also that the Orioles are in contention and that they're going to act like it, which, okay, that's nice to hear, I guess, but and we talked about this last time and probably before that. What? And we'll probably talk about it next probably time. Probably talk about it, you know, over the next several podcasts as the trade deadline gets nearer and nearer. What do the Orioles have to trade for any of this stuff that's out there? Any of these names that are out there or not even name, names that aren't even being mentioned. There's no, like, there's no surplus for the Orioles to deal to get anything that they need at the major league level. Right. They would be dealing from, instead of surplus, just regular stock. Like, they could make a trade, hypothetically, uh, that would involve guys like Chris Tillman or guys like uh, Nicky Delmonico down in uh, the minors. MVP of the South Atlantic League All-Star Game, is that? Sure. Or, or like Parker Bridwell. Uh, those types of prospects who are are good but haven't especially like established themselves as like top 100 right guys. they're not on so, the Bundy and Machado the Dylan Bundy and Machado tier I should say right I, I would be flabbergasted I think is the best word if Bundy or Machado got traded um, and then outside of the minor league prospects stock there's Right, I, I mean, mean, what are they going to do? Like Robert like, Andino to somebody who really yeah. is a utility infielder? And what is what is Robert Andino going to give you? You know, I mean, he's going to give you another guy that's like Robert. Andino. You're not going to get Matt Garza for Robert Andino, right? And you're not going to get like Chase Headley, who is another name that's uh, popped up a lot. Third baseman uh, on the San Diego Padres, right? For those, so yeah, it, it's it's going to be super interesting to see how they well what they buy with i guess and uh hopefully not too aggravating <laughs> because i really don't think the orioles are are at a point where they should be selling off future assets right it's it's like we've lucked into a good year this year which is great and i'm i'm loving it but with this, this, with all the question marks and holes that are still on this team right. as they're sitting at this 10 games above 500, you definitely can't mortgage the future. Because, well, I mean, if they keep this as the level that they're going to step forward another level beyond this, that would be great. In two years, imagine if we were talking about, you know, the Orioles are having the best record in the major leagues in two years because of all these guys that are working their way up. That would be great. But that won't happen if... Right. Well, they're going to need lots of things to go go right, and they they're going to need different players yeah. to to fill in some of these holes. So I don't know. I don't know what Dan Duquette thinks he can do. Maybe he just felt like he needed to say that to the uh, to the fan base. I think when whenever we've listened to him, sometimes it seems like well, he says what you want to hear. Right. I, it's Which is not part of the job really of that the general manager from like the Jamie Moore stuff or the Manny Ramirez stuff. Or the Johnny Damon stuff. He doesn't like to tip he, his hand. Right. He gave a very wry response. And, oh, well, you know, Manny Ramirez is a great player and I'd love to have him. He's an interesting guy. And, uh, or. 
Johnny Gibb, and I sure would have loved to sign him five years ago, I think, was his final commentary about that one. Right. So he has been, uh, I'm not going to say surprisingly, but um, he he has been really good for the Orioles, and that has come sort of out of nowhere. I'm talking about Dan Duquette. Yeah. Um, So I would be... Yeah, for a guy who had no self-respect to take that job, he's... uh... Oh, come on. Nah, okay. Um. For, for a guy who was out of the game for 10 years and who was the Orioles' 15th option as the general manager or executive vice president of baseball operations. Yes, good. Um, and for a guy who then had a winter that was not impressive on paper. Like or, getting banned, well, getting the scouts banned from South Korea, right, for instance. Right, for, for example. Um, you know, it, it, he's been, he, he had the non-signings he's made and some of the signings he has made and, and little things he's done have really worked out well. Uh, I'm talking about things like uh, picking up Luis Ayala, who's been pretty good, uh, and, and not going after some big-name closer, um, and and so on. I, I would be surprised if he did something super aggressive that, that sold out the future. Rash does not seem like it's in the Dan Duquette playbook. Not yet. It would I mean, be a surprise if he suddenly played that card, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't mean it won't happen, but he hasn't shown us so far that that's a thing he would do. So. Now, the question for, for me, to, to you, I guess, is uh, the Orioles are buyers. Let, let's just say that. Like, yeah, you're two games out of first place in the American League East. You're in the top seat of the wild card at this moment. Wow, I mean, that was pretty cool. I, let me bask in that for a second. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm back. For you, for for the Orioles to buy something that would make a difference, um, what would they need, I guess? I feel like a real answer at left field, because it's not going to be Nolan Reimold, even in my most right. optimistic scenario not. for his performance, because he's not going to play for the rest of the year. Um Better answer at third base would be on the list, probably. Uh, one more solid starting pitcher to go along with Hamill and Chen. Now, I'm not saying they need to get all those if they're trading, but if they, that would be the three those things are I like would the say way, the are the lot. needs they would really want to get. So I guess that's why a guy like Chase Headley seems attractive because... Well, he plays um, on a bad team. That should be right there. Yeah, he, he fits a need. So, you know... That's that's what I would say they would want to look at. And I don't Although, of course, uh, when asked about Chase Headley, uh, Buck Showalter at the Q&A said something like, uh, Wilson Bedemit has been playing really well, and uh, we like what he's doing out there at third. Well, the other answer he that probably Dan Duquette would have given is, well, I'm not allowed to comment on other teams' players. Well, right. Which, which is the thing he hides behind when he doesn't want to talk about something, it seems like. So. Well, he's not alone. Every general manager is going to say that. Yeah, so uh, maybe they'll trade for somebody. I don't know that it's going to be a blockbuster, you know, nine-player trade, although it could happen. It might be for a guy like Jerry Hairston. Yeah, it, it would probably be more likely to be a spare part swap to slightly stabilize, you know, one position that's not like, for instance, left field. Mm-hmm. Not, with a, not with a marquee name, but just with a better name than... Uh, Steve Tolleson, for instance. Not that I, I you know, have anything yeah. against Steve Tolleson, but really, no. 
That's not our left field answer for riding to the playoffs or even into September in contention. So who knows? We'll see what they do. I don't know. Looking forward, what do we got? The Angels. We already talked a little bit about how the Orioles will be stuck facing C.J. Wilson and then Jared Weaver in the course of that two-game series. Now, one good thing is the matchup on Wednesday is Weaver versus Jason Hamill. That should be a pretty good game. That uh, will be a really good C.J. Wilson yeah. is facing off against Brian Mattis. Not as uh, not as balanced on paper right there. And then, of course, you can consider the rest of the Angels team. They got some guys on there pretty good. Mike Trout has come up and is play, playing like the MVP of the American League, uh, which is crazy. Mike Trout, as a, as a 20 years old, and is really doing astounding. He His batting line, 337 with a 399 on base, 535 slugging. Yeah, that'll get you in the MVP conversation. Is there any... 20 stolen Oriole. bases. Holy crap. That might be more stolen bases than the Orioles have as a team. Is is there any... I guess Adam Jones is, is sort of easily the best hitting Oriole. Uh, how does how does he match up with Mike Trout on, on their batting lines? Well, Jones has lower on-base percentage by about 50 points, and he has a higher slugging by about 30 points. So if you look at OPS, Trout has Jones by 30 points. Plus a bunch of stolen bases. Um, Trout has 20 stolen bases and only three caught stealings. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good ratio, I think. Adam Jones, for instance, has nine stolen bases with five caught stealings. So... Maybe we should say, well, Mike Trout is going to make his way into the All-Star game over uh, over Jones, but he didn't. He wasn't even on the ballots, I don't think, because he didn't even start the season on the roster over there. They also have Mark Trumbo, who, after posting a sub his tourist line on base percentage in his rookie season this year, he's got a 370 on base, 618 slugging right at this moment. He's got 17 home runs. Whoa. And then uh, Albert Pujols, uh, Pujols slumped horribly, but slumbering he's back. bat is waking up. Torrey Hunter is handling himself adequately. Yeah, this is a good team. So uh, they got some big names coming yeah. in on top of those two, two and three in the American League in ERA starting pitchers. Not going to be an easy two-game series there against the Angels. Hope for a split. It's about as much as we can hope for. Hope that uh, Hamill outduels Weaver, I would say. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. So the, the Angels, and the Angels have been surging as well, because they're, mm-hmm. oh, I take it back, they're five games back in the West, but they were farther than that for a while. Well, right. I mean, they're right up in it, in, uh, I think, the wild card standings. Not that these things matter in June, but... Let's see. The, you know, the Angels are a half game behind the Rays for the second wild card spot yeah. at this moment so they're, in time. they're back they're they're right back in the playoff they're right back in it for sure yeah it's gonna be a tough week especially if you're already frustrated with the orioles hitting not being up to snuff right it's entirely possible the orioles will score like one run each in the next two games you know one solo home run in the eighth inning when they're down four to nothing and you know that's just the it's kind of the, the finger in the eye home run just to break up the shutout. Mm-hmm. Not really just, just bring the Orioles towards a rally or anything. But 
Well, the Orioles have won a lot of games I didn't expect them to this year, even with some on-paper unfavorable pitching matchups. So maybe that'll continue. I don't know. Beyond after the Angels, we've got a trip to go visit the Cleveland Indians. And really, I don't know a lot about that roster at all. I just got to admit that. But Andrew wanted to highlight a guy, Jason Kipnis, who figures the Orioles fans, which I'm certainly one of, uh, will maybe not be as familiar with, who plays second base for the Indians. So what what do you like about Jason Kipnis? Well, he's a good defender, and he's got a really interesting uh, batting stance where it's, I think Cal Ripken had something similar to it. Well, Cal Ripken had a lot of batting stances in his... Yeah, so I guess that doesn't mean anything. Uh, where he holds the bat sort of perpendicular to his body and parallel to the ground. Uh-huh. Um, you look at his, his batting line, and it's pretty good. Uh, he has a 117 OPS plus for a second baseman. Um He's just he's an exciting young player. He's 25 years old. Um, the Indians have been doing really well so far this year, um, and a non-trivial amount of it should belong to to Jason Kipnis. And uh, you know, you think of the Indians. I'm not even sure what players are supposed to come to mind. Yeah, let's see. Looking at their FanGraphs stats, the guys that are up at the top of the wins above replacement list. We got Astrubal Cabrera, number one. Jason sure. Kipnis is tied for him. Carlos Santana is not really hitting for power this year, but he's still got decent-ish on-base percentage. Same with Shin Su Chu, or Gary Thorne would always say Shin Shu Chu, I guess. He can never... That's one of those <laughs> names Gary Thorne just can never get right. And that's why we love Gary Thorne, but... Actually, he's got a pretty good line. 276 average, 363 on base, 445 slugging for two. That's pretty good. And then pitching, I don't even know. Who's in their rotation? Derek Lowe's in their rotation. Eating, eating Lowe, some innings. Ubaldo yeah. Jimenez, who is not, he's struggled a little bit. Also eating some innings is what we would yeah. say about him. 459 <laughs> ERA. Um, Justin Masterson, who had a really, really good year last year, but really has a very difficult time getting uh, either right-handers or left-handers out. I cannot remember. Let me look that up. And also in their rotation is Gene Margomez, who has a 518 ERA. So that would fit right in with the Orioles. And, in fact, Gomez is scheduled to face Wei Yin Chen. So that's actually an on-paper favor lefties, for the Orioles. Lefties. Justin Masterson cannot get lefties out. So if he, he ends up seeing the Orioles... Uh, this this weekend, I I'm Let's not see. sure. It looks like the Sunday game is going to be, if the ESPN schedule thing is accurate, it's going to be Justin Masterson versus Ryan Mattis. So lefties this year have a 370 on base percentage against uh, Masterson. So, so if Chris Davis has an 0 for 40 going yeah. into that Sunday game, maybe Masterson will be the guy he can bust out against. Uh, he can, you can load up on... Uh, Chris Davis can two. circle that one on the calendar, and we'll see what will happen. Yeah. yeah. But the Indians also have Johnny Damon on their team, who, on this very podcast, we mocked the possibility of the Orioles acquiring. But uh, it turns out... I think we even did that today. I, I think we did. <laughs> We might even yeah. have done that after the record button was pressed. But, Wh- whoops. <laughs> uh, our bad. 
but as we've often said, we're going to be wrong, and we will be wrong again. And we probably have been wrong tonight. Even even as we spoke, we were probably wrong tonight. But that's that's unfortunately true. It is it is unfortunately true. So Johnny Damon, turns out uh, we might have rather had him than Andy Chavez, if only because Johnny Damon is not on the disabled list. And in fact, Johnny Damon's stat line is nothing impressive at all. 202 batting average with a 290 on base percentage, 318 slugging percentage, but Compared against Andy Chavez, you're like, well, well, compared against all of the uh, any of the, the rest of the old guys that have been thrown out there, yeah, like <laughs> they have an on-base percentage total of 264. So, so I mean, Johnny Damon's got him beat there, even in his old age. Yeah, so Damon turns out kind of maybe we wish we would have had Damon. Well, I, I well, I don't know that we wish we had him. Specifically. It's just, it's funny how things work out where you're like, well, we totally don't want that guy. Suddenly like, he looks better than what we have actually yeah. had playing out there. So I don't know. Hopefully he doesn't uh, be a nemesis against the Orioles in that series. As he has so often done. Yeah, he has. And that's the thing. So I don't know. What do we get? So that's the six games coming up next. And the Orioles, I believe, need to win two of the next five to have a winning June. So they're currently 12 and nine, and there's five games left in June. It's pretty nice. It's a pretty nice place to be. So I think there's certain with their slumps and, and flaws and things. There's certainly potential to do that, and that would be cool. And then they would have four straight winning months going back to September of last year, which. In fact, it's a start. And that's another one of those stats that goes back, I believe, to 2005, because there was like a winning September 2004, then they had winning first three months of 2005, and then we all know what happened. But uh, eventually, maybe we'll stop quoting 2005 stats, and I, I would be happy about that. Yes. But it's not tonight, because I just broke my own rule, and uh, I will be issuing myself some kind of kangaroo court fine. After the conclusion of the podcast, I don't know what I'm going to do, but something. Maybe I'll wrap myself on the knuckles with a ruler. Something sufficiently painful. I'm just going to let you keep talking because this is getting strange. We're going to reveal my bizarre self-punishment fetishes, apparently, and that's probably the sign that it's time to move on <laughs> to our final thoughts on the Orioles at this this moment in time. Andrew... Have I given you sufficient warning here, or did I just uh, did I just destroy your mind? That's uh, everybody's washing out their brains with battery acid right now. That, uh, yeah, um, I don't I don't necessarily have like a final thought or some like insight or anything, but uh, I think um, maybe we can just mention real quick uh, the work Wei Yin Chen has done. Uh, we haven't spent nearly enough time I think talking about him he's a really interesting type of player there's never enough time for everything we want to talk right. about some guys unfortunately, unfortunately. and uh, even even this weekend um, he pitched pretty well all things considered uh, he, he lost unfortunately on Saturday he battled through innings that would have been disaster innings for Orioles pitchers we've seen recently, including some really who are still in the rotation right now. Like that costly error that he ended up eating one earned run for 
from from Wilson Betamete, but really could have been a two-run error. Right. And anytime, you know, cost him extra pitches and all that other stuff. I really hate the idea of earned runs and unearned runs because even the earned runs, you're leaning so heavily on your defense to keep runs off the board that it's like, well, none of them are really earned except for the home runs because those are are defense independent, as they say. But uh, so so anytime you're you're pitching in front of the the Famous Wilson Bedemy to Mark Reynolds. Really? Or the other uh, way around. If, if you don't watch these guys when they're both on the corners, if, you don't, if you're not seeing that on TV, you're lucky. Because every time the ball goes to Bedemy, you cringe. And then if he successfully fields it, which is certainly not a sure thing, you cringe as he does his little spin move and then throws the ball vaguely in the direction of first base. And then he's throwing it to Mark Reynolds, whose defensive liabilities are well known. And you just hope Mark Reynolds can, you know, stretch and get a wide throw, or can he pick it out of the dirt, Mm -hmm. which often he can't. Or, you know, can he jump high enough and then swipe a tag or get his foot down? Betamete, really bad 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 at third base but then again so is mark reynolds so yeah yeah it's a bunch of bad options but regardless of all that way and chen has been sort of uh very quietly pretty good uh he doesn't have any sort of um uh keystone game that that jumps out in my brain as where he really shut down right it's not like he's got a complete game shut out with 10 strikeouts or any of that kind of stuff right but I mean, he's he's got a three three eight ERA. It's been fourteen games. Uh, I mean, he looks good. He looks good out there. Uh, you, I guess, I keep waiting for like the league to get a scouting report or whatever the the boilerplate cliche thing that's probably not even accurate is, and it doesn't look like it's happening quite yet. Now, and for what it's worth, Andrew, we often cite Keith Law's negative things he has to say about the Orioles, but when he was asked about Wei Yin Chen, uh, someone specifically asked him if they thought the league was going to catch up to him or if he was having sustainable success, and Loft said he feels like Chen is having sustainable success against the league. Yeah, he's so he's got go. stuff that plays. He's got enough velocity, and he can locate his pitches, and he just gets a lot of lazy fly balls, and that's the kind of pitcher he is when he's having a good game. And in fact, if you look at his game logs, the games that were not as good tend to be ones where he was getting ground balls instead of fly balls uh, and also having a few more walks. So you want him to be a fly ball pitcher in Camden Yards, which is weird, but they're like lazy, easy fly balls that even Camden Yards will hold. And Well, right. The, the thing with fly balls, as long as they're not home runs, and some fly balls are always going to be home runs. It's hard to avoid, but fly balls in general, they're just easier to field. Ground balls, we talk about uh, batting average on balls in play. The batting average on ground balls tends to be higher than the batting average on fly balls. So if you get a lot of fly balls, you tend to keep runners off base. And that's Wei Yin Chen. So he, he doesn't get a ton of strikeouts. He gets a respectable number, and... Keeps guys off base, scatters the hits. 
he's uh, he's he's done well. He's not you know in that Hamill top right. league ERA, exactly. but right. I mean considering on this podcast between you and me and Stacy, no one of us would be willing to go on the record and say the Orioles will have one starter with a sub four ERA having a guy with a three thirty eight. We're pretty happy with that, and and there's a guy better than him, which is even better. Uh, if only the rest of the rotation was anywhere near that level of consistent quality, we'd be alive. Yeah, none of these guys are part of the cavalry, but they're here they're anyway. The holding down the fort. Yeah, th- maybe this is like the uh, the parachuters or something instead of the cavalry. They just dropped in out of nowhere. And, yeah, I like that. Somewhere. That's good. That's really good. So, all right, so there we go, the paratroopers, and we need some more, I guess. But. Well, my final thought was probably that Betamy to Reynolds thing, and it's uh, it's really ugly. I can't stress that enough. And if you've been watching it, you know, so you don't even need me to tell you. It's it's bad. Or or Reynolds to Betamy on Friday. Or Reynolds night. to Betamy, sure, sure. That was a that was a funky play as well. And it's the type of play I can only hang my head because it's it's a little painful. So, what are they gonna do? Well. Maybe they'll trade for somebody. Probably not. We might just have to endure it. Maybe Andino will heat up a little bit at the plate and they can plug him in at third more. Maybe. Maybe he'll do a little better. But I just don't know what they can do. But uh, we'll have to keep watching it in the meantime. And uh, hopefully it won't cost the Orioles too much. So we'll see what happens with the uh, the better meet to Reynolds 5-3 or 3-5 or anything combo. And uh, we'll all hold our breath a lot. And that's pretty much that. So, standard plugging stuff. Number one, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at eatmore. S K E S S K A Y, like the hot dogs. Andrew. T- it, taste the quality. Okay, uh, t- yeah, taste the difference quality makes. I don't. Yeah, wanna, there you go. There you go. Don't want to let down the people who look forward to that. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew. We like to talk to one another, and sometimes he likes to make fun of me when I say ridiculous things. Not unlike what he does on this very podcast. It would it would be uh, nice if everybody just stopped saying ridiculous things. Yeah, but that's, you know. But it's also nice when people do say ridiculous things. It gives us something to be entertained by. So you can also follow Camden Chat at Camden Chat to get all of our notifications when articles are posted on the site. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're leading a busy life and you can't afford to check the site, you can just have that pop up in your Twitter feed. And along the same lines, you can follow or you can like Camden Chat on Facebook and see things on there. It's just facebook.com slash Camden Chat. Nice and easy. So that's all we've got for tonight. I am here with my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. I am Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.